One of the most significant events in the history of our country was the adoption of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776. This crucial document asserted America's independence from Great Britain. On that day, America, as we know it, was born. We continue to celebrate this this day every year, obviously on the 4th of July. We celebrate the birth of our nation, the freedoms that we enjoy, our country being born over 240 years ago. Well, this morning, we're going to think about one of the most significant events, not in the history of our country, but one of the most, actually the most significant event in all of human history. We'll consider the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We'll think about his death and resurrection this morning as we observe the Lord's Supper. And we'll spend some time thinking about how the cross of Christ should shape our lives. We'll be in Luke 22, verses 14 through 20. If you'd like, take a pew Bible and turn to page 935. In this passage, Jesus is observing a special celebration with his disciples. Soon after this meal, Jesus will be taking his journey to the cross. Now, in verse 14, Jesus and the apostles are about to share a meal together. While Jesus had a number of followers, only his apostles are with him at this point. It's in the evening, and they're gathered around a table. Now, during this time period, formal meals and and even other meals were often eaten with a posture very different from our own. Jesus and the apostles were reclined around the table. This doesn't mean that they were in their lazy boys around the dinner table, though that does sound kind of interesting, doesn't it? Um, What they would do is they would lean on their left elbow with their head facing the table, perpendicular to the table, their feet uh, away from the table, and and they they would have a meal together. So Jesus gathered with his 12 apostles around a table. Now let's consider the occasion more carefully. From verse 15, we see that Jesus is with his apostles to observe the Passover uh, meal. The Passover was an annual Jewish observance. They remembered God's great deliverance of his people from Egypt. You'll remember that God's people had been enslaved in Egypt for, for over 400 years, and God worked miraculously to deliver them. And so the Passover was a way to commemorate God's deliverance. They had been in bondage to slavery. So God, through a series of plagues, delivered his people. Well, the final plague that God brought upon Egypt was the plague of the death of the firstborn. Every home in Egypt, firstborn son, firstborn animals, every single firstborn in each household would die. And through this plague, God's people would be delivered from Egypt and from Egypt's cruelty. And so God's people could avoid the plague of of the death of their firstborn if they would slay a a lamb or a kid goat, and they would take the blood from that lamb or that kid goat and put it around the door frames of their homes. And then when, when God sent his angel of death, and he would see those homes that were marked by the blood of the lamb, he would pass over those homes, and they would not experience the plague of the death of the firstborn. And so Jesus is gathered with his disciples to celebrate the fact that God miraculously rescued his people from the bondage of slavery. He's gathered to celebrate the Passover, which they were commanded, of course, to to celebrate every year. Now, at this meal, a Passover lamb would have been a part of it. There would have been bitter herbs. There would have been 
wine. And Jesus said to his disciples that he had longed to share this meal with them. If you think about it, this will be the last time that Jesus has the opportunity to really fellowship with his disciples before he goes to the cross. In verse 16, it's clear that Jesus realized the significance of, uh, the significance of this moment. In fact, Jesus said the next time that he observed the Passover would not be on earth. It would be when the Passover is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? We find some help in answering this question as we look at Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. In this passage, the apostle John is speaking of the kingdom of God and its fulfillment. In these verses, the elders sang this to Christ. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God. So the Passover will be ultimately fulfilled when Christ, the Lamb of God, has been slaughtered and when peoples from every tribe and language have been redeemed. And so when, when people from every tribe and nation and language have been redeemed by Christ, the, the Passover lamb, then Christ says the Passover will be fulfilled. And that's when God's kingdom will come. And then he will enjoy a great celebration with his people. That's the next time Jesus will observe the Passover. So Jesus celebrates the Passover with, with his disciples. Let's look in verses 17 and 18 to see what happens next. Jesus took a cup and he offered thanks to God. Then he told his disciples to share the cup among them. Now, during the Passover meal, there were four cups uh, of wine. And this was one of the cups of, of the Passover, perhaps the first cup. We, we don't know for sure. Now, of the Gospels, only Luke includes this detail about another cup besides the cup that was associated with the Lord's Supper. Only Luke includes this uh, particular cup. Now, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, you'll notice on occasion subtle differences between the Gospels. Skeptics argue that these differences are proof that the Gospels are false. In reality, the differences remind us that they are true, that they are true. Why? Because the Gospels are eyewitness accounts of the events of Christ's life, like eyewitness accounts of, of an event today. One person will notice something and another person, another eyewitness, will notice some other details that, that the other hadn't noticed. And so these differences in the Gospels don't make them false. They show us that they're true. They're truly eyewitness accounts. They have the kind of rich detail that you would expect from, from eyewitness accounts. Now, if we had four Gospels that claimed to be eyewitness accounts, but had every single detail exactly the same, then we ought to be worried about their truthfulness because that would suggest that the early church had carefully gotten together and put their version of the story together. They worked hard to create one uniform story to circulate this single story. Now, if that were the case, then we might suspect that, that we weren't getting the real story. But what we have is eyewitness accounts with all of the richness that that means of the events that occurred in the life of Christ. We have true eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. So skeptics may argue that these differences are, are actually contradictions, but in reality, every proposed contradiction that, that, that a skeptic would suggest has been answered. So don't be fooled. 
If you go online and you read, hey, the gospel accounts contradict one another. This one says that about the resurrection. That one says this about this or that. Friends, keep studying because there are good answers to every one of those alleged contradictions. The gospels bear the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 18, once again, Jesus acknowledges that he will not drink of the cup again until the kingdom of God is fulfilled. So Luke gives us an interesting detail about the Passover observance that the other gospels don't mention. Let's look in verses 19 and 20, and we'll see the institution of the Lord's Supper. Jesus took bread and gave thanks. Then he broke the bread and he gave it to his apostles. Now, it seems strange to think about breaking bread, but remember, this is unleavened bread, bread without yeast. So he breaks this bread and he distributes it to his apostles and he says to them, this is my body, which is given for you. Now, the bread pointed to Jesus' body, which was offered as a sacrifice on their behalf. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul calls Christ our Passover lamb. So the bread reminds us that the body of Christ was sacrificed for us, that Christ is the true Passover lamb. In verse 20, Jesus took a cup and he said to his disciples, the cup is the new covenant of my blood. It's poured out for you. And what did he mean by by this idea of new covenant? Well, if we go back to the prophet Jeremiah, who, who prophesied some 600 years before the time of Christ, he said in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, look, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. You see, the prophet Jeremiah prophesied of a time that God would establish a new covenant with his people. Now Jesus tells the apostles that the time has come for this new covenant to be inaugurated. It would be ratified by his very blood. The blood of the Lord Jesus would mean that we experience the grace and the mercy of God. His blood would mean the dawning of a new age in salvation history. And now by turning to Jesus in faith, we are saved. And not only that, when we turn to the Lord Jesus in faith, he does write his word upon our hearts. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 reminds us that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. You see, when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus, he sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. Isn't that something to think about? And we see the fulfillment of this prophecy of Jeremiah that he puts his word, his spirit, his teaching in our hearts. Now notice in verse 19, Jesus instructs his disciples to continue to observe the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a way to remember what Christ has done. It's not a re-crucifying of the Lord. Now some denominations teach that the bread and the wine actually become the body of of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, because Jesus says of the bread, this is my body, and of the cup, this is my blood. But at other times, Jesus says, 
I am the vine. And no one argues that Jesus is literally the vine. And still another time he says, I'm the gate of the sheep. And no one argues that Jesus is a gate that sheep can walk through, literally. So we understand these verses in Luke and the other gospels that that talk about the Lord's Supper are meant figuratively. And we don't try to force Jesus' words to be literal here. Faith traditions that have done this have offered all sorts of explanations about how the bread really becomes the body of Christ and the, the wine really becomes the blood of Christ. But these explanations defy plain reason and they aren't true to the intention of the text. So what Jesus means is that the bread represents his body and the blood, it symbolizes his sacrifice that inaugurates, that begins the new covenant. So what does this passage teach us? As you observe the Lord's Supper, gratefully remember the remarkable realities of Christ's redemption. Gratefully remember the remarkable realities of Christ's redemption. When you take out a picture album or or a photo book of, of your wedding, or maybe your parents' wedding, what do you think? If it's been any time at all, you look and you go, oh man, Styles have changed. You look at the hair and it's big or, or the dress looks really odd or uh, the colors that were chosen or even the color of the carpet in the church that you were married in. These things change and you see them as you, as you look at these pictures. And as funny as some of these pictures may be, you look at them and you remember the wonderful celebration of marrying your spouse or you imagine what that day was like for your parents these pictures point back to something monumental in your life. In the same way, the Lord's Supper points back to something that is monumental in the lives of believers. The Lord's Supper reminds us that Jesus really lived on earth, that he really died on the cross, that he really came back to life, and that one day he's returning. And that if we belong to him, these realities are real in our lives. So how do we put these truths into practice? Well, first, dwell on Christ's sacrifice. The Lord's Supper reminds us to dwell on the wonderful sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Consider the amazing forgiveness you've experienced in Christ. Oh, if your sins were cataloged, friends, what hope would you have? But in Christ, they're gone. They're washed clean by his blood. Oh, let's dwell on the wonderful sacrifice that he's made for us. He became the Passover lamb for you, for me. He died the death that we deserve to die. Oh, so let's spend time thanking him for his wonderful mercies. Next, consider where you're at in your journey with Christ. The Lord's Supper ought to cause us to to evaluate where are we in our walk with the Lord Jesus. The Lord's Supper is a great time to say a prayer like this. Lord, help me to take the next step in my walk with you. As I remember what you did for me, God, help me to quit letting other things become more important. Help me to quit being distracted by this or by that. God, help me to take the next step. God, help me to progress in my walk with you and grow deeper in my love for you. The Lord's Supper is a great time for that. Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 11 how we ought to examine our hearts at a time like this. So ask the Lord to show you the condition of your heart and how you can walk closer to him. Next, consider the glorious celebration that is to come. 
Consider the glorious celebration that is to come. One day Christ will return. And everyone who knows Jesus is going to be a part of the most incredible celebration that, we ha- that we've ever been a part of. In fact, greater beyond imagination. An amazing time uh, of joy. Oh, so we look forward to heaven with eager hearts. And you know, knowing this celebration is ahead, well, it gives strength. We know life sometimes just, it can wear us flat out. The difficulties we experience because of our own sinful choices, that can weigh us down. The hardships of of living in a sinful world, things we never caused or brought upon ourselves, but the things that we have to experience, the pain that, that we must endure, it's more endurable when we remember that there's something greater ahead. Oh, there's a great celebration ahead. So be encouraged in the midst of the difficulties of this life. Next, think about this question. And this is a very important question that every single one of us must address, that every single one of us must think through. Am I in Christ? Am I in Christ? Are you in Christ? Do you know the Lord Jesus? Many people assume because they've, they've always gone to church their whole life, they grew up going to church from the time they were kids, that they automatically have a relationship with Jesus. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Many people assume because they're pretty good, haven't killed anybody, hadn't you know, robbed a bank, I'm, I'm a good person. Well, then I'm, I'm good with Jesus, I'm in, you know, I, I'm a Christian. But the Bible says this isn't true. In fact, in John 3, 3, this is what Jesus said to a very religious man. Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does Jesus mean? He means that every single person must come to a place in their life where they turn from their sin and they call out to him in faith, where they say to Jesus, I am tired of rebelling against you. I believe you came to this earth, that you died on the cross, that you rose again, and I want to follow you. You see, that turning point has to happen in every person's life. That's the point at which you become born again. And if you have never had that turning point in your life, friends, you're not a believer. You may be a great person. You may be a a, a very religious person, very committed to, to coming to church. But friend, if that's never happened in your life, you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. There's only one way to have a relationship with God, that you might be born again, that you might turn to him in faith. If that hasn't happened, oh, today, Today is a wonderful day for that. A glorious day. Here we are about to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And you could know resurrection life today. Oh, friends, if you don't know the Lord, I plead with you. As you wrestle through this question, am I in Christ? Let today be the day that you can say, yes, yes, I am. So we've seen that the Lord's Supper is a great time to focus on the wonderful realities of Christ's redemption. So just as you might gaze at those old wedding photos or maybe photos of your childhood and and you look at those photos with with a certain fondness, with a a certain sentimentality in which in your heart you're kind of emotional looking at them. Remember that, remember this, remember when that happened. You look at those photos in the sense your, your heart maybe is moved. Well, friends, this morning, as we observe the Lord's Supper and we remember the cross of Christ, may our hearts be moved. 
Let's remember the sacrifice of the Lamb of God this morning with tender and grateful hearts. Let us grateful, gratefully remember the wonderful, remarkable realities of Christ's redemption. For those of you who are here who do not know the Lord Jesus, this isn't a celebration for you. But friend, it could be. Oh, it could be. Today, you could turn to him in faith. You could begin a relationship with Jesus. And then you too, you could be celebrating with us. So as you watch us, as you watch us remember what Jesus has done, I pray that you'll be, that you'll be calling out to the Lord and saying to him, I want to know you. And that today might be that turning point for you. Let's pray together.